0: So I'm excited. I love this panel. This is uh, we call it mainstream, but this is us. I think this is who our attendee is. Um, this is the conversation we're all sort of having in the hallway and the networking sessions, and in the car right over here, and at dinner and the like. So I'm hoping the same conversation that that we've been having in the back and that we have all the time, we're just gonna have it in front of you guys and let you in. So um, without further ado, and if you got questions, raise your hand. I'll try and holler on you. I don't mean that because it's just casual but I'll try and go. Uh, Al Patel, Baywood Hotels, Mahul Patel, Newcrest Image, Greg Friedman, Peachtree, and Mitch at Vision. Uh, stalwarts of our industry, own a ton of hotels, do a whole, very influential, so I wanna know what's in their minds, as hopefully you guys do as well. So I don't know, Mitch, I'm gonna start with you. I was gonna start and ask you what you did in 21, because you were the only panel member <laughs> uh, up here. Uh, you know what, I'm gonna do that. Tell me what you've been up to in the last year, and then I'll get to all the questions that that they were asking
1: absolutely glad to have i'm glad to be back uh, that's for sure so 21 we are historic we're historically look we've every company creates value differently we're developers we've developed over 60 hotels and uh, so we had a robust pipeline prior to covid and we were absolutely focused on getting that pipeline complete uh, so we opened seven hotels uh, in 21 and historically we are long-term holders and covid kind of changed that attitude for us uh, to some degree we didn't know that uh, the values would be that strong we were getting some great great uh, offers and we had hotels in urban markets where it was going to take a while to recover so if someone was willing to pay us uh, numbers that we were underwriting at a greater greater value than what we were underwriting in 19. And it was gonna take us three, four, five years to get to that uh, point. So we said, you know what, let's exit these hotels. So we exited about six hotels for about $190 million. And uh, so we were busy doing that. Yeah, I mean, and and before that, just curious,
0: how many hotels did you ever sold? Probably about six. There you go. In 24 years. Wow. And then you sell sell six. Uh, interesting times, uh, Greg, your Hotel Group. I got, I got to brag on Greg real fast. So Greg, if I may, uh, uh, started just a small sort of private equity company locally out of Atlanta and doing onesie twosie hotels and then turned into funds. Helped me out 50 million, hundred million dollar funds as everyone does. And dare I ask, what have you been up to in the last 12 months? But now you just announced a billion dollar fund because everybody's doing billion dollar funds these days, right?
2: Yeah. Everybody's got to do bigger.
0: Everybody's got to go bigger. Yep. So what have your last 12 months been like?
2: Yeah. So for us, I mean, because we invest up and down the capital stack as it relates to hotels. Um, So we invest both on the equity side as well as the debt side. So we've been very active, um, not only, you know, developing hotels, we've got, you know, probably about two dozen different, you know, development projects in our pipeline, you know, currently we've got about a half dozen projects under construction, we've been very active on the you know the acquisition side we bought about you know 17 assets over the last you know 12 months and a lot of that's been really over the last you know nine months or so we've been very you know and also on the debt side we've been super active there we've you know lent probably over you know a billion dollars of you know direct lending to different hotel groups to help you know recap existing assets construction loans but we've also been very active in just buying you know debt we bought over since the beginning of the pandemic, we bought over you know, 200 first mortgage you know, loans secured by hotel assets. So we've been you know super active, you know, pretty much everywhere on the investment side.
0: Uh, Mayhul, again, I'll let me, I'm gonna ask what you've been up to the last 12 months, but I, I gotta preface it. Mayhul's been very active, probably one of the best stories out there in our industry, if I really can, a, a, a little bit of self-made man. Some of us cheated along the way and took over our father's business. <laughs> Mayhul is one of the few who, uh, dare I say, did it on his own, and it's the second or third time, but Mayhul's sold. if you saw the headlines, I can say it, sold $822 million worth of his hotels to Summit, publicly traded REIT, which I don't think has been done before by one of what I will call one of us, so congratulations. Thank you, Teague. What made you make that decision, why'd you do it, how do you feel about it, do you regret it? (laughs)
3: <laughs> no, I feel really good about uh, being that transaction. So Newcrest Image has probably bought and sold 210 hotel in the last 15 years. So we've been heavy transacted company overall. But pre-pandemic, we started, f- you know, we bought a bank in 2019. So our plan was to diversification uh, on going forward. But I think uh, pandemic just allow us to fast forward that diversification growth really fast forward. So. We were able to exit. I mean, last, you know, when you talk about 12 months, we opened five brand new hotels. One was with Peachtree. We opened and we sold it last year. And uh, one with Baywood, we're opening tomorrow Canopy in New Orleans that will be sold to Summit also. So it's great to see both of these guys that we had opportunity to do business with it. So, you know, Newcrest Image has always been a transaction mind. We're growth oriented, like we we still have five hotels that are under development today. We have a few bits out there that we're looking to buy. Uh, we bought nine G6 portfolio from you. Thank you for that. So, <laughs> uh, you know, for us, transaction is kind of a daily journey for us. We're looking at, uh, you know, opportunity. Uh, uh, just, you know, different market, but I think the big transaction with Summit was very uh, attractive for us to find the exit of management, Propco side and Opco side, and now uh, allow us to be a truly an inv- investment company rather than being day to day.
0: So I'm, I'm going to stay here and pick on you a little bit. What, did you, Was it COVID? Would you, were you trying to sell pre-COVID? What made you say, hey, it's time to exit and make a mass sale? I think there's uh, so many answers to that
3: question. It wasn't well, like COVID was one thing, but diversification was one. COVID was one. Third one was what do I want to do? Every morning do, uh, when I wake up, what do I want to do? Fourth thing was how the world was changing, right? and acquisition labor challenge, inflation, all this hit right post COVID. So when you add everything and challenges in our industry, when you look at everything, you're like, okay, I think it's time to step back and just look at different lens. So we were able to sell both sides of it. So it wasn't just COVID was one answer. We still love the travel space. So we'll continue to heavily invested on in travel, but it'll allow us to just pull back and look at what do we want to do future. So that's the game plan that we put together and we were able to accomplish pretty successfully.
0: So I'm going to circle back and ask you what you want to do in the future and what you're going to do with the money. Mm-hmm. But, Al, I'm coming to you. So Al, prolific developer, uh, owned a bunch of hotels, great family. You guys have been really good. Wh- let's go backwards and tell me what your 2012 looked like. Uh,
4: 2021, 2021? I'm assuming. Twelve um, months. But, yeah, we opened about, I think, <laughs> 11 hotels in 2021. Obviously, um, not great times uh, to be opening hotels, but fortunately, most of them were in the extended stay space, so... It did add to our enterprise uh, those hotels did um, our portfolio. Our pipeline was pretty much, you know, we usually add to the pipeline every year. And in 2020, we didn't really add to the pipeline. So in 2021, after we saw kind of this big resurgence, kind of, let's say, late spring, early summer last year, especially in the southern and western states, um, we're trying to replenish that pipeline right now. So. We went from having a pipeline of just one or two hotels which typically we have 20 or so um, and we're replenishing that pipeline. We're up to about a dozen in the pipeline right now and we hope to get that back up to 20 or so by the end of this year. So you're bullish on development is that just because that's who you are? It's just it's who we are. it's what we know. We like to think that we're adding value. Uh, we have we are acquiring also when it makes sense. so we have such a good handle on what replacement costs are in every region so, if something is coming up where it makes sense for us um, on the the brands that we like um, merging with the, the replacement cost kind of analysis, then we'll, we'll we're making that jump also.
0: All right. I got to ask development. We went you went there. So talk to me about development costs, uh, supply chain issues, all that stuff. What's what's happening with development? So we had
4: two projects pre pandemic, which were priced ready to roll. And both of those, obviously the funding dried out on us. So we have a really good handle on those. Um, those pre-pandemic to post-pandemic, both are under construction now, it was about a
1: 20% increase. Okay, um, So 20%. 20%. Mitch, would you percent. agree with that? You're the developer too. Absolutely. It's about uh, anywhere from 15 to, to 22 to 23% we're seeing increases. And, and how bad is supply chain issues? absolutely i mean supply chain has a lot to do with that uh, of course uh, all the talk about inflation that we've been talking about as well but supply the supply chain it has a lot to do with that uh, we're it, talking about go ahead it, how be specific go yeah i mean look there's certain materials you just can't get you know and there's uh, obviously a lot of materials were coming from from even china and then even I mean, uh, d- lumber from canada and so forth so we the manufacturing look I just want to regress for a second in those that have studied supply the supply chain I mean there is a hundred moving parts that have to move seamlessly in order for this the world the global supply chain to be in balance not just one but 20 of those things have been disrupted because of COVID worldwide and And now we're trying to reignite all of that, right, back. And plants that were just completely shut down, both on foreign and domestically, are rebooting. That takes time. There is just no way that you're going to be able to bring that back, no matter how much we want to do that in three months, six months, nine months. Absolutely, it will come back. It's just a matter of time, probably by the end of the year. Supply chain issues will probably get better but that is causing havoc absolutely in our industry especially as developers in the construction industry
0: so is that slowing down your thinking how is that impacting your your
1: decision making moving forward yeah so as a again as a developer i will tell you that this is the first time that i could remember in probably 18 years that we do not have a hotel under construction so it was very intentional our strategy we had about 18 hotels in our pipeline our development pipeline uh, in about around 18 and then 19, you know, we, I was up here with you and you asked me a question on the economy and I said the clouds are starting to form, things are starting to slow down, you could just feel it, sense it, it's been 10 years since the last uh, storm or downturn and uh, something is going to give, so we intentionally did not add a hotel to our development pipeline because we did not want to be stuck in it, but I got to tell you this Teague, we were waiting for that storm, just like in 09, 10. In 09 and 10, we accelerated during the storm, we accelerated that pipeline to about 14, 15 hotels, and we opened those hotels in 11, 12, 13. And that, there couldn't be a better hotels in our portfolio because of the basis that we were in. This time around, we thought that would be a great strategy, but that did not take place, right? Uh, we were. I was here. You asked me a question two years ago in in 19, and then last year, even in 20, like what's going on with construction costs? And I thought that those numbers would come down because that's what it has done historically due to supply and demand. But the supply chain challenges is what we did not anticipate. And of course, the inflationary pressures that we did not anticipate. So it is a very difficult time to be a developer right now. As Al mentioned, we have Hotels and the pipeline, we are pricing, it's about anywhere from 15, 18 to 20 to two to 24%. We got a quote by a reputable contractor on a project that we're doing in Nashville downtown, $400 a square foot, $400 a square foot. And what by comparison, what was it previously? Well, back in 12 uh, when we built in uh, in Nashville downtown, it was 125 bucks a square foot. Uh, so land values have increased dramatically as well, as you know, greater than, than even construction costs. Al?
0: What would you echo on, stay on development? What would you echo there? Yeah,
4: you know, so some things like steel, we used to buy 90 days in advance. Now we have to think about it six months in advance. Six months. So, so a lot of electrical components, we had to think about it, li- you know, two months in advance. Now that's four or five months in advance. So all those things that Mitch talked about, you have to think about all these different things, and otherwise you don't want the job site just sitting waiting because everybody else is relying on everybody else's, you know, trades to, to progress. And so, you know, what that just means is we're having to buy things earlier in the process, so in your interest costs go up because you're now you're using more of your bank loan quickly as opposed to before you'd spread it over a 12-month period. So, so all of those things are adding to the cost.
0: Let's talk about lending. I mean, in the old days, you would get, you would go get the loan, and then you would order all your materials. Now it seems like it's reversed. You order all your materials, get everything ordered, and then you're locking in your loan.
4: Yeah, I think a, a lot of that we'd have to start planning even like 30 to 90 days before we're actually closing the construction loan
0: yeah. and things like that. Same with ff and e, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. Greg, you're the lender.
2: Yeah, I mean, you it's- it on construction. What's that? You lending on construction? I mean, we're doing we're doing a fair amount of construction lending. Um, that's one area that you know we've continued to you know lend into just because you know it's it's an area that um, I think it still makes sense. It's tougher. I mean, it's, a lot of projects have been shelved, and you know some of them are probably going to be shelved indefinitely. Um, but there's still a lot of markets that are you know underserved, and I think you know even with some of the additional costs which I don't think a lot of these costs is gonna go away anytime soon, just because a lot of it's you know, labor driven beyond just even the supply chain disruption. Right. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's just, you know, unfortunately, since the Great Recession, I mean, the construction industry is almost like a dying industry. I mean, there's less labor force, there's less GCs, and it's just gonna continue to put pressure, I think, on construction costs in general. But with that said, I mean, we're committed to continue to be a construction lender. We've been a construction lender you know, through the years, you know, through Stonehill, which is our lending platform. Uh, but we're, you know, probably doing, you know, right now we probably have about five, you know, five to 600 million of construction loans that, you know, we're financing different, you know, hotel development projects.
0: So well, on, on the loan side, Greg, are you getting more demand for construction or for standard acquisition?
2: I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing both right now. So it's, I mean, the reality is, is over the short term, over the last, you know, 60 days or really the last 30 days, you know, with the crisis, you know, in Ukraine, I mean, you're starting to see, um, you know, debt spreads, you know, sort of blow out, which is, um, it starts to minimize, you know, some of the, you know, CLOs that are willing to lend into our space. Um, So we're seeing more demand on acquisitions and refinances because of it. Uh, But with that said, you know, we're still seeing, you know, a lot of development financing opportunities, just because there's not a lot of banks willing to finance, you know, new hotel projects today. What's
0: What's happened with lending in general? what's happened with rates what's happened with LTVs
2: yeah so you know comparing to the pre-pandemic levels um I mean we're still not back to where we were pre-pandemic I mean I think for the most part there's a lot more debt in place today than there was you know 12 or 18 months ago um there's a lot of you know debt funds you know similar to us that are out there you know financing projects but with that said I mean I think in most cases you know most projects are being financed at, you know spreads of like, you know, 500 to, you know, caught five to 7% or higher, depending on the project. What do you see happening going forward with rates? (laughs) I think rates are gonna, I mean, it's a good question. Obviously, you know, I mean, rates are going up. I mean, clearly, um, we could debate, you know, inflation, but unfortunately, you know, they're going to be forced to continue to raise rates. Um, so I think when you look at the actual spreads, Know, against the indexes that you know, you're pricing loans against. I mean, ultimately, there could be some compression and spreads to keep rates at you know, some level where it's not you know, increasing as fast as you know, maybe rate increases that are occurring. But with that said, I mean, I think ultimately rates are headed up here shortly. So
3: I think one thing I would add to development, I think timing is the major issues also. When you look at what happened, a lot of the architect, interior designer firm has merged. So they don't have enough bandwidth. Also, when you look at local jurisdictions, city, state, federal, they're not able to quickly go on do inspection. Also, that added more time. And then all the workforce, all the general contractor, the workforce are giving only six, 70% of output. Pre-pandemic, you could see, OK, we're getting 80% of output, 85% of output from the worker. So the, the productivity has also lessened. So when you look at the timing aspect of it, you could add easily 30% more time on the project schedule. So when you talk about inflation, all that is right, but when you talk about ROT, return on time, that 30% is very expensive because 30% cost you insurance, property tax, general condition, utilities, you talk about that, normally we don't think about that. So now you have to add another layer of it that you don't have a control over any of those segments. And many of the brand also downsize their uh, you know, design construction. They're ramping up, but that also slows down. So when you talk about all the approval process, productivity, all that, there is a loss of time that added easily four to six months of construction time or more. I'm sure you guys have seen that time that also added that, many of us may not thought about it. And so
0: that is also coming into a play today. So the obvious question, what's that doing to the value of existing assets?
4: You know, as <laughs> we're seeing, I mean- That's the biggest th- question to you. <laughs>
0: you <know>. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we'll have a
0: session after. Well, there, um, I mean, you're the pro at it, so you know, that's a question that goes to you, Tig. I mean, I think they're going up, right? I mean, this, maybe this is on inflation, but all of this, you just can't get it. Oh, by the way, we're printing, Trillions of dollars, sorry about that. I'm on a speech, but we had in 20, January of 2020, we had 15 trillion in circulation. Today, we have 22 trillion in circulation. So the value of everything just went up. So now we're on inflation. The value of this bottle of water, this chair, oh, by the way, this hotel went up. It's costing you 30% more to build. It's costing you 30% more in time to build. The value of everything went up. We're selling now on pre-numbers. We should, have, we'll keep coming. We're selling everything on pre-numbers. The conversations I just had, which is what we're doing, we're not waiting for numbers to come back. We're all seeing the numbers are coming back. We're believing the numbers are coming back. So we're selling on forward, three-year forward projection. And the fun part of that is, oh, sure, well, three-year projection, what is that, a 10 cap, a nine cap? No, no, we'll take a seven. Thank you. Okay. And if we can do that, because if everyone's seeing it coming, I mean, that's where value has come, which is up at least 30%. where it was pre-COVID which is material vet numbers everything we're selling right now has a bidding war there's so much capital out there in circulation everything we're selling
3: i think the challenge with acquisition is it has to pencil the number right when you go get a debt or equity you could ask for seven cap or whatever but the number has to work on acquisition where on ground up development you're able to show the future forecast that we haven't tested the water so there is art and science both sides when you look at it so I think, you know, every, every asset in a different market, if you can underwrite and be able to turn on that asset and the demand is coming back, I think you could really justify value. But it's all over the board, seven, eight, nine, depending on the market.
0: You sound like a buyer now,
4: yeah. <laughs> Al. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, because of all the things that, you know, Mehul talked about things, you know, we're, we are acquiring, we're looking to acquire. Uh, we have not been very successful uh, in our acquisition, um, in our processes. Um, we're just getting outbid a lot of times not just maybe sometimes we are the high bidder but somebody else you know knows the owner and you know something like that so it's been it's been a difficult process to acquire um and we haven't been big uh, acquisition you know in that space up till now so we don't have that you know that brand out there for for that but um, you know, our broker relationships and all that, we're trying to leverage all that, but obviously, you know, all of that is a just an extreme amount of competition, which is driving up the values. Greg, what do you stand th- for value? Yeah,
2: no, I was just gonna say, I think you gotta love development right now, just cause it, we got so much choppiness right now with just everything, you know, coming out of COVID, the reality is when you develop, I mean, it's gonna take, you know, nowadays it's gonna take 18 to 24 months to get the property open, not to mention you gotta go through entitlements by the time the property opens, yeah, it's gonna cost a lot of money, but then you know, you're gonna stabilize out three years later, you know, or technically you're out, stabilizing out two, three years later, or you know, maybe five years. So you got a lot of runway to deal with you know, the noise right now. So personally, I would rather be developing than buying. It's just harder to find stuff on the buy side right now. I think uh, we need to push the cap rates up, T. We're trying. Yeah, <laughs> We're doing our part. Unless we're selling, then <laughs> <laughs> keep it down. Yep. So.
0: Hi Mayhul, let's, p- let's pick on you. What, are you. what are you doing with all the capital? Wh- so what's the future for Mayhul and Newcrest? Maybe I should go at it that way.
3: Very good question. So uh, in, in last 12 months, part of our, at this conference, I came with a presentation and I met with a few of the REITs to say, hey, I want to sell a portfolio. And first reaction, everybody looked at me like, why are you selling? Are you trying to screw us or what? Mm. Because if you want to sell something, that means something's wrong with it but I think the plan came out of here. So the deal was crafted here. This is where I met and the transaction happened with Summit uh, Hotel Properties. So our objective is to diversify our investment. That was the whole objective because when COVID happened, we had 37 hotels and roughly 25 hotels were shut down for 45 days. Five hotels were under construction. We were finishing it. And all the question came is, is this the business? Do I want to stay in it? And it kind of came up that we should have done more diversification in other classes. So, we kind of came up with a playbook by saying, okay, we should have banking, real estate, alternative investment, and public equity. So, today our dollar is spread across all four different real, uh, you know, four different silos that we're investing on it. And so far, we have done a very good job, enough on very disciplined on growing each silos. We have a leader for each department from banking, real estate, alternative, and public equities. And we're growing that. We love the travel space. We're not going away every, I mean, every month there is a hotel we're buying or selling. So our, you know, our journey is continuing real estate's place. We love the travel space. Uh, travel is coming back, it just matter of fact, maybe three, six months away. So we just want to figure out a different investment thesis. We're a good developer. We're a good transaction, guys. As you can see our history, we have bought and sold 210 uh, hotels. So it allows us to do continue more. So, we feel like we're going to do more transaction buy and sell going forward on the real estate uh, space audit. We're going to build more hotel also and we talked about it. I think when you talk about development 20 years ago, the challenge was we learned how to build a hotel. 20 years ago, we were like looking for architect, looking for brand. So it was a struggle to learn how to build a hotel. Today we become a pro by building, we built 77 ground of construction. So when you look at the full circle, okay, we have done all of it, high rise, historic projects, you name it everything, right, dual brand, triple brand, we did everything. So when we become pro and you look back and say, what would I go back and do it? Would I go build again? Yes, we would go build it. But you have to keep all that things in mind what Al, Greg, Mitch talked about, return, inflation, everything in there, but you could still be successful on doing all that part. But we're just becoming very nimble and very focused on a driven, okay, four projects, let's do it right for projects. So we're not going on quantity, we're going on quality of the project and we're still mixing extended stay, lifestyle, uh, luxury, all three segments into it. So we're just being a lot more pickier, disciplined and all that mix of it. It allows us to give that flexibility to do that now because we're just being an investment house. We sold our management contracts to Ambridge and made a, you know, investment in that
0: were you going to say something no but that reminded me so, so
3: now it's we don't have to wake up every morning and look at what what's occupancy and all that let somebody else worry about that and every morning we wake up to a, do a deal uh, either it's a development or acquisition where can we go find a next deal or whether we're making a next investment in a alternative investment whether in u.s or uh, you know overseas or somewhere so we're all become investment house now pretty much investing in all for you know for different areas
0: yeah, I mean, you've come a long way. I had a lot of questions. One was going to be, what would be your advice to sort of the new hotelier, to Mayhool 20 years ago? What would be your advice to those guys?
3: I mean, all the money we made in hotel business. So that's, that's what I said. This is a very good industry. Stay in it. It's really good. But be disciplined on what you do on it. I wish we had done some of the brands on early on that took us 10 years to realize, like Home 2. Al is a champion. Uh, we haven't done as a company single Home to brand, and which we're <laughs> working on one of them, but I think Baywood has done a, a phenomenal job of building that Home to franchise brand for their company and their enterprise. So some of the item I think you kind of learn and lesson from many of the peer groups. So I would say to, you know, 20 years ago, I wish I had done uh, extended stay more brand. Uh, we have just started doing 10 years ago. So I wish I had done 20 years ago what Jack Dober, and you know, all those guys started doing that. And so that's one of the item, I'd, I'd say we probably missed the boat on it.
4: You know, um, the last recession, the great recession, oh. extended stay was about 5% of our portfolio. And that 5% outperformed the other 95 during those years of, you know, eight, nine, 10. And we kind of made an internal decision at that time that we wanted it to be a full 50% of our portfolio in the future and um it's about 40 something right now and it's about 95 percent of our pipeline or extended state what
0: percentage of your development pipeline is it 95
4: 95 percent of our development pipeline yeah 40 percent 50 percent of our 40 percent of our
1: existing portfolio is now extended state that's a lot mitch you agree no i mean look um great recession to even the pandemic that we went through clearly uh, we've learned a lot. Uh, Extended-stay hotels have performed very well. Um, drive-to uh, markets, uh, heavy leisure markets. There were markets that were all leisure, that would stay away from uh, you know, pre-pandemic. And now we're looking at, uh, they were obviously well-performing assets, uh, and we are now looking at developing uh, in those kind of markets where we probably wouldn't have uh, previously. But I want to touch on, the, uh, on something that we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, we talked about a lot of things already in 30 minutes. But the rising three things, I think, are, are creating this uh, anomaly for greater pressure on values, uh, which we all, those that own hotels uh, that are in this audience, it's a good thing, right? Billions and billions of dollars are obviously chasing deals. Two, this doesn't get talked about a lot, but I think there's more clarity I understand we've talking about so many disruptions and headwinds but in 2018 19 smart people were all hedging on that something is going to happen and something big could happen negative that is well it's happened and so if you look at all the experts you know with supply and demand supply you know historically has grown what 1.8 to 2% uh, over the last 30 years, well, we didn't even hit that average for the last 10 years. So keep that in mind. And then the next uh, five years, we're looking at 1.2% supply growth. And demand is obviously going to be robust. And so these are pretty smart people that have billions of dollars, there's some clarity. And then cost, construction cost. If you have a home that you paid $300,000 for a few years ago and now it's, the builder is building a $400,000 home next door, there's no NOI on a home, there's no cap rate on a home, but your home just went up in value simply by that home cost $400,000 next door, your home just went up in value. So clearly because of all of those factors, uh, values are gonna go up, NOIs, should go up we'll see you know obviously challenging we're going to talk about that with margins uh but cap rates i think will go down because of those things Uh, even if interest rates rise i am no expert on on all those factors uh but i i believe even with interest rates uh, in the short term at least because those factors that we talked about but a year from now can that change you know some of these challenges we're talking about construction costs It's not about supply and demand, necessarily. Non-residential construction starts are down. Non-residential construction starts are down. But yet, costs are crazy. Labor, obviously, as Greg uh, talked about earlier, is a big challenge in the construction industry, and probably will continue. But clearly, we just can't get things. And that's why some of these things uh, have created that that supply-demand problem.
2: I mean to Mitch's point on the cap rate compression side I think it's I mean it's happening right now as we speak right we're seeing it I mean T you're you got like a front seat to it all you're seeing all the, <laughs> the trades that are happening and I mean things are trading based off of they're not even back in some cases back to 2019 levels right. and they're trading at lower cap rates than they would have traded in 2019 still with the uncertainty of you know how these assets are going to stabilize out um, so I think you know there's just so much capital you know chasing our industry there's a lot of new capital coming in. I think the spread differential between us and industrial multifamily self storage that have compressed down in a lot of cases, even sub 3% in certain markets. Um, I think it just makes hospitality more compelling given that we're at, you know, elevated cap rates. And I could easily see cap rates coming down some even with, you know, interest rates rising.
0: Mayhu, you agree? We're cap rates headed. I think it's all
3: within the part because today if you look at replacement cost, anything you look at you know, buying today, first thing everybody looks at replacement cost or per key. And so based on what Greg and Mitch talked about it, cap rate will continue to shrink regardless of the interest rate because it's, uh, I think the interest rate is pretty much you know, temporary factor when you look at it. It, it will not stay that you know, high or whatever happened wh- whether we see all six hikes uh, you know, this year. But I think cap rate will continue to uh, go downward.
0: Al, You can answer, but I was going to head negative for a minute. So go, well, give you your know, cap you
4: know, rate. ALAN are trading at the high 3 and low 4 caps. Um, there's no reason why extended stay hotels, for example, specifically can't be at a 6 or something like that. There's no reason they have to just be at an 8, just because traditional hotels have always traded a, at an 8 cap. And so I, I think all of th- that's why a lot of these multifamily chasers, when they're seeing threes and fours on that side, I think a lot of that money is now also coming into our industry because the seven and eight is twice as good of a deal.
0: Yeah, it feels like it. Oh, so therefore, are we in the right industry? Do you like our seven and eight cap versus the multifamily three cap?
3: I think we like today. We hope it goes to five to seven or five, six cap in next 12 24 months. That's Do you hope way. it goes that way? <laughs> <laughs> Why You're not? I'm mean, tired today. You're not a seller. Well, when you look at it, but <laughs> I mean, what's the difference with multifamily, right? If multifamily when was 5, 6 cap and now there are 3 and 4 caps, high rise or even, you know, wood, you know, four story building. So what makes our industry different, right? If you look at office, uh office, multifamily, industrial, they're the lowest cap. So what makes hotel different? In fact, our industry should be the most robust because we're able to fluctuate the rate overnight compared to any of those guys. So I think it's maybe all the broker has to do a better job of shrinking the cap down.
0: (laughs) 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 We'll do our part, Mehul. We'll do our (laughs) part. Uh, Mitch, how is this recession different from the last recession, from the GFC specifically? What was the last part? From the GFC? How is this recession
1: different from Yeah. So. You know, I've been through a few, 2001, of course, um, and, and 2008, 9. This is what's different about this one. The last two were absolutely economic crisis, especially the Great Recession, right? This is a medical crisis. And so this has disproportionately impacted our industry. I'm on a CEO roundtable in my hometown. I'm the only CEO of a hospital in the hospitality industry obviously insurance companies there's volkswagen and and other uh um, companies that are represented and in 2020 and 21 some of the things that we're talking about on stage today they're not talking about those things their business is, has been robust their margins have actually improved they you know with people working from home their offices closed less travel less entertainment, uh, and I'm listening to this with these CEOs talking about this. And I said, you know who's on this panel uh, here listening to this too? And they go, you know, they have to back up a little bit and pander a little bit back towards me. But this is a medical crisis, not an economic crisis. And I said this last year, that most, the average American, their net worth, it's common sense, their net worth is in two places. It's in their homes and the market. Think about it for a second. What happened in 2001 to those two things and what happened in 2008 and nine, those two things? And then what happened in in 2020 and 21 to those those two things? Home equity values shot through the roof, the market's been robust, thus giving consumer confidence, right? Giving the consumers confidence to spend money and they were saving money, of course, by being at home. And so people want to travel, people wanna spend money to travel, they just couldn't because of restrictions and other things. So that is the biggest difference this time around. But as a developer, I'm gonna put my developer hat on, I was ready in 20, when 2020, this, when the pandemic hit, We said, we're gonna sort these things out. I was not ready for the pandemic, make that very clear, no one was. But when the pandemic hit, three or four months afterwards, we were hitting about 60% occupancy that summer. I said, this is the time to put our foot on the gas to develop, just like we did in 09. And the difference this time around, it did not materialize uh, like we thought with land, With construction costs and those kind of things. Because to your point, everybody had money. That's right. I mean,
0: people always ask me, you know, everybody wanted the deals and the bargain and all that sort of stuff. And my fundamental answer is, the bargain's out there when no one has any money. And if no one has any money, that means you don't have any money either. That's right. That's right. If you have money in your pocket, guess what? So does everybody else. So the bargain will be there when you're broke.
3: I think take one challenge, this, this recession. I think, you know, when you talk about recession, I think uh, 9-11 and 2008-9, yep. in Texas, we didn't felt anything. Even in COVID, yeah. we felt for a short term, and it bounced back. But I think this COVID recession was, there's five plus trillion money came into the market. So now that's kind of twice our GDP dollar amount that came into the market so that was the unknown factor that nobody knew what to do with that money. Everybody had the money, what Mitch even talked about it. So the capital is there and that money hasn't even came to the market yet. Everybody's look at all the, you know, public literate company, they're sitting on a very strong balance sheet, a lot of cash, all the entrepreneurial, every single segment of even the office, everybody's sitting on pile of cash. They still don't know what to do with it. So I think that is what's gonna happen in next 12 months. All that money will start to figure out where are they investing, what are they buying, what are they selling. So a lot of stuff's gonna uncover in next 12 months, I think, because we could see that Endemic has already taken place last 30, 45 days ago. And now that money, everybody's sitting on that pile, I think you'll start to see. And I think that may be the opportunity where you will see uh, acquisition cap may try to shrink because there's so much competitive out there because there's so much money out there even though the bank are not lending but all the money is sitting in the bank bank still has to pay all those account holders some sort of money whether half a percent or whatever so bank is also going to start lending at that point because they also see it so there's so much going on out there and none of them has reconciled yet i would say those trillions of dollars out there
2: But I think, I mean, part of like, there's all this liquidity, right? And that's helping, I mean, the consumer balance sheet to Mitch's point is, you know, super strong. The corporate balance sheets are super strong. So this isn't, you know, again, it's not a economic, it's not a true economic recession. I mean, we went to a very brief moment of a recession, but I think when you look at why, you look at the valuation of assets today, I mean, they do look elevated within our industry. I mean, we're out there trying to buy assets, but then you start looking at what the potential cash flows are because of all these factors, because all of all this liquidity and you know the strength of the consumer and the corporations um, and the inflation in the environment, you know the potential cash flows down the road are much stronger than what we saw in 2019 or even the outlook then, and that's helping drive some of that compression in cap rates too, just because of the growth that everyone's expecting to see. So, to that you know point, which. Wasn't your question, but no, no, I had to throw it that, out there. But
0: that's where I was heading there. And and I really, for you, even I wanted to talk about the lending Stonehill, Stonehill, Mayhills, with all the capital sitting on the sideline. How's that impacting debt? And will Stonehill get more aggressive in their lending, or no? Because interest rates are rising, and because there's a Ukraine conflict, or a lenders are going to get
2: less aggressive. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're we're committed as a lender. We've been you know in the lending space under Stonehill for the last you know eight nine years. So we're not. Um, it's not a situation for us. Where we're going to stop, you know, lending in the space because it gets too competitive. Just the volume of deals may go down for us because um, we're going to, you know, c- remain disciplined to a certain degree. But the reality is, is you know, we, we intend to. We feel like you know we have our um, sort of our place where we're competitive, and we're going to continue to, you know, provide construction financing. We do a lot of transitional financing on you know acquisitions or recaps of existing assets. So I think there's enough. Business you know, for us to continue to do what we do on the, the lending side.
0: Um, Al, let's, let's get a little negative if we can. Labor is obviously a big issue, so I want to talk, uh, get your thoughts on the concerns of our industry, uh, margin compression being a major one, and labor being at the top of that list.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, obviously we're all feeling the, the extreme challenges of the, of the labor crunch, and I think it's all brought on by a lot of these, the, the success that the country is enjoying. Um, you know the brands have helped considerably with us. But, you know housekeeping is our major component of our. We're you know select service hotels and so labor is the biggest component of our expense model and um, of that labor component, housekeeping. You know, yep. We have the most housekeepers and you know the, the you know not cleaning stayovers has helped tremendously and you know we've been lobbying the brands. I'm sure they're all out here to, to, to continue that model. You um, think it stays or do you think? And it, it's not necessarily to save money. It's, you know, we're going to spend the same money because we're paying one and a half times to a housekeeper. Somebody who's making 12 bucks is now making 16. You know, it, it's about the availability of, of, of the staff to, to help us to clean the rooms. And, um, you know, so the brands are going to have to do more, to be honest. And, and the brands have to do more in a lot of things. The brands have our. Their hands in our pockets for many, many things. So a relicense fee, you know, 10 years ago was the same as the application fee, 75 grand, 50 grand, and now they want 175. What did they do different? You know, they just want a piece of our action. And um, you know, sometimes now a, a tri-party agreement, a comfort letter, they used to do it for free. Now three, four, five grand for those things. So on and on and on. All of these things are causing our margins to decrease, and the brands have to do a better job and you know we're partners with them and so we have to that partnership has to kind of you know
1: mitch comments them. yeah you're the operator as well no look absolutely um i think we all saw this in uh, 16 and 17 and 18 19 rep was growing at a record pace and then our margins were diminishing and primarily because of labor costs were going up and then covid of course the pandemic hit and we were surprised in 2020 that our margins were actually even better in 19 with significantly less revenues because of what we were forced to do uh, with our teams. And then 21 came, first six months, uh, we actually had some pretty decent margins. But as we were bringing people back, um, almost at probably about 85 to 90% uh, fu- uh, fully. A Fully staffed uh, hotel. We started seeing obviously those margins start eroding again, and I, I Want to piggyback on what Al said, uh, you know Absolutely appreciate uh, the brands that we work with or our brand partners on changing that business model. You know, there's a lot of talk and I know I hear a lot of this about going back to 19 We don't want to go back to 19 we want to go beyond we can't. Uh, 19. And we want to have a more efficient model going forward, because 19 wasn't actually a great year. And so housekeeping absolutely is our biggest uh, challenge. Uh, of course, in the food and beverage space, you're seeing breakfast uh, standards change. 68 items were on the breakfast at Hampton Inns. Brought it down to 28. and the. It's balancing brand equity, and guest satisfaction, and guest loyalty at the end of the day, and profitability. Right? There's one thing that I have to add, guys. Um, And we talked about how labor is a huge challenge, especially in housekeeping. There's no way some computer or some robot in the future, I don't even think in the near future, is going to clean rooms. So we're going to have to have people. And it's hard, hard work with low pay, and that's just what the industry—that's what the uh, industry—is about. So this whole tipping thing—I want to just talk about this. So Uber, you know, those that—you know, obviously, almost everyone here uses Uber, and the app, you know, you could tip Steve if he did a good job. You could rate him and tip him. And a month later, if I go back, if I take my next Uber ride, it reminds me. You know that there's Steve again, who took, who did my last uh, drove the last uh, trip. I can still tip him. So why can't we? We're so slow to evolve uh, with technology in our industry. Why can't we simply in our apps, if it's uh, the Hilton Honors or Bonvoy or any of these various uh, brand apps, simply have? I'm not going to be sexist, but Steve, our housekeeper. <laughs> Why can't, uh, why can't we simply, you know, we, we live in a cashless society, right? Uh, who carries uh, cash with them anymore? And we want to tip, but many times we forget or we don't have the cash to do it. And we heard from the speakers before too, make things easy, make things easy, right? That's the, that's the society that we live in today. And why can't we make it easy for Steve to get a tip for cleaning our room? And I think that's a game changer. You're paying 14 bucks an hour, 15 bucks an hour, an additional five, six dollars an hour that Steve would get would be a game changer in attracting more people in a hard, hard
2: industry, uh, cleaning rooms. Um, I actually, so. totally agree with you. And I think the challenge is it's really on the brands, right? Like we, we're so underserved from a technology perspective. And I think it's just re, you know, sort of looking at the model again, because right now you know, the brands are so focused on you know, franchise revenues, and they should be, but we need, in order to continue to drive more revenues, they need to you know, look at how we can you know, really utilize technology better, because it's so underserved today within our industry. And we can be more effective as operators you know, owners and so forth. So well, Part of your mobile key check-in and somewhere in there is, would you like to tip? Yeah, mobile check-in. I mean, I think Whatever. there's stuff just to make it the way you communicate with the guests. Um, I think there's just a lot of technology that's so underserved and, you know, that you know, could positively impact the guest experience, so. All right, hull's chomping at the bit. Go.
0: I just
3: want to build on there are six issues that I see with our oh God, industry that great opportunity for us to solve. I mean, right. there are great minds here. The first one is the brand. I think we talk about brand has to own some responsibility on technology, innovation. Their legacy brands are getting older. They're not really investing dollar in that part. So brand has some standard issues. You know, there's so much stuff that brand can really help us. Second one is the cost. Our cost is continue going up. And that's where we need, you know, this is all industry issue. I'm not going to talk about brand issue, but there are six fundamental issues in our industry that we all leader has to come together and solve for it. So first one brand, second one cost, third one is the regulation, fourth one is compliance, fifth one is a guest expectation, and uh, fifth one is guest expectation, sixth one is the honors expectation. So when you put all six issues and you talk about where the opportunities are, the honors are the last one on the line. Uh, you know, a couple examples when you talk about brands. Today, no brand understand really well digital space. If you look at Google Ads and everything, they're increasing two point, you know, smaller increment, $0.05, cents, $0.07 cents per click on it, that it's passed on to the honor. So everything is brands are outsourcing many of the digital space where nobody's thinking. If you look at all of our digital cost, is going 90 percent off to digital space. The brand are outsourcing. So that's a really hidden factor that nobody's talking about it. So there there is so many opportunities that are out there. It's, it's a industry issues, but we'll just focus probably on one item. But when you talk about six item, how compliance is issue to us, regulation issues to us cost, guest expectation. So there's so much we could talk about, like housekeeping. When you look look at it at we should start charging on it. As an honor, when you talk about thirty percent inflation, why are you not increasing thirty percent your rate? You should follow airline you know revenue management model. This is the how we're gonna take the industry back on it. So many of the item is very fundamental. It's an industry issue that each one of you have to take your own responsibility and bring it together. But look at Airline has done a very good job on the, you know, charging baggage fees. We should charge for housekeeping fees on it. And so, you know, many of those aspects, we I think the industry can take over control rather than blaming it on brand or somebody and we start making what's like parking. You could charge for parking surface, like in Texas, we started charging for parking. Surface parking, it's okay to charge $7. If customer refuses it, give them a refund on it. But those are small aspects we could start changing our industry. And that's how we're going to make the our industry very profitable, what multifamily and everyone has done it. You talked about Uber. Look at your last 30 trips Uber. Uber has started charging 15 to $0.55 cents surcharge, uh, environmental fee. So everybody's tagging on nickel and diming. Nobody cares about that. Hotel industry is the only one that we're not doing nickel and diming. And Everybody feels like we shouldn't do nickel and diming, but look at which industry isn't doing it. The biggest takeaway for our industry is we should do a prepaid. When you book a reservation, we should collect the money. If you look at how much money Expedia is sitting on the balance sheet, when you book OTA customer, the brand is okay for OTA to collect the money, but brand is not okay for collect the money for the owner because their technology is not compliant. This is where brand can invest each brand could invest $20 to $50 million in their technology, and we as Honor can collect. If Al has 100 hotel, he could be sitting on $50 million prepaid reservation today. But nobody's focused on that item. So this is not so much a brand issue. This is industry issue that who, you know, it doesn't matter who takes the first leap on it, but all the brand CEOs should really step up and say, you know, we're going to invest a seed dollar, $50 million, to solve that problem and make our Honor that dollar prepaid revenue you know once you book a reservation it should be a non-refundable period if you book anything shopping if you book anything you have to prepay everything airline reservation everything right so why is our industry's lack of behind so i think when you talk about fearless leader in our industry the lodging leader they're going to have to get a little bit aggressive and say no time has come to take over industry and if not I think all of the great leaders here—they're going to have to also speak up on it. So that's what I would talk about—the six industries. You,
1: Mitch, you—we talked about this. No, I mean, look, well said, Mill. That's uh, Mm -hmm. that's hard to follow what he just said, but I do want to touch on one of those items that you mentioned. I just want to reinforce this. Um, But again, other industries are doing it. Airline industry. I remember when I went to Alice uh, last year, um, not this January, but last, in last summer, whatever. I had to change my flight like three or four times. And I think I paid more in change fees than my original airfare, OK? Spring break, this Friday, rented a house down in Florida. Within 24 hours of booking, I had to pay half of it. And then 30 days prior to arrival, they take the other half. Good luck trying to change that reservation. And so we have to adapt. Uh, The consumer is ready. I don't know if the consumer is quite ready for a housekeeping charge. I don't know that, Okay, I think that was a noble effort on our parts. I know our buddy Corey really took a big lead on that. uh, And I'm glad that we have found some sort of hybrid in housekeeping now. But absolutely, this uh, taking payment upon booking is something I think the consumer is ready for. And what's happening is, if you've got a, a reservation, restaurant reservation app, right, and you use that to book a, a restaurant a Saturday night, I will try to book another restaurant for that same night, and it will not let me, right, because they know that I have a reservation already for another restaurant. The hotel industry, I could book six different uh, rooms for the same day with the various portals that are out there. And then within 24 hours, because that's a cancellation policy, and they know their cancellation policies, right? And within 24 hours or 48 hours, I shop. I I do some last minute shopping. And so we're the only industry, as Corey Oak says, our friend, that could tie up our precious inventory for 364 days without recourse. Think about that for a second. And so we have to adapt in many, many issues like this. As an industry.
3: Well, the most one is everyone books airline, airline ticket first. Then they book a room. So if your airline is booked and if you want to change, you're going to pay a change fee. So why hotel cannot be prepaid? Once you book it, we should be able to collect it. And if you want to change a room, you know, give it to your diamond member and all them free change one time or five times a year, something like that. But technology is the biggest challenge. The technology is not able to handle those modification on all the brands. It's not one single brand. You talk about hotel industry, but look at oh, Expedia has done a very good enough job. and. They're, cu- they're sitting on billions of dollars on their balance sheet because it's our revenue. They're collected on our behalf as a custodian, and they're sitting on it, enjoying. And, sp- and just on their billion dollar, the interest that they earn, they're able to spend more money on marketing. And here, that money is not
0: available to us or the brand. I'm glad I got you guys started. Um, <laughs> uh, Al, we're wrapping up. Any comments? Any visions for 22? Any labor conversations? Uh, no
4: You're more to sell labor. your management I mean, company no like worry. we're not did. selling now we're not selling anything to to anybody you know we' we'll we'll keep pruning and planting our portfolios we've always done yep. we'll we'll sell uh where we think uh, strategically it makes sense for us, and we'll develop where we think that growth will occur in the future
0: M- M- Mitch, my point, even greg, but M- Mahul, I said jokingly, but for everyone, mayhul fundamentally decided he, the operations of this business were still difficult. And one of my concerns about operations is it's tough for the smaller guys to do it. You got to get some size. There's going to be some consolidation going on. You're going to have to figure out how to have a chief labor person in charge of all of your, you know, to keep the team around and to keep the morale around. And what we're seeing a lot is when people are selling their management company, Mahul, selling it to Ambridge or selling it to someone and just saying, I can't do it. There's economies of scale. Mitch, you see that going forward or do you think everybody's going to stay in it?
1: No, absolutely. Do. I think that's going to continue going forward. I talked to a lot of my peers that have 10 hotels, 15 hotels, 25 hotels, and more. And uh, their, their heart is in the deals. Get right. deals done, development. And operations is something they've, they felt like they had to do. right. And you don't have to actually do operations. There are very good companies out there that can manage your hotels, probably equal or better then probably you can. And I have learned, I think, one thing that I've learned during this pandemic is you're either all in or you're out in operations. You can't be half in. This is a service business first and foremost before a real estate business. And if you're not, if you don't have an incredible service culture and you're about your people first and that kind of culture that you've developed in your organization, you will not succeed. In this very difficult labor environment, and by the way, these this labor challenge is not going away. This labor challenge is going to continue. We, as a developed country of all the developing countries in the world, 30 years ago we were like number one in workforce participation. We are like third to last now. Yeah. And the, and Chip Chip Rogers said this other day that the fastest growing demographic is 60 and up entering the workforce. And that's the future. So I think because of all those things that you're going to see uh, people get out of management. And, and the infrastructure costs, the technology costs, the people that you have to bring aboard when you get to 40, 50, 60, it's very challenging.
2: Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, you're, you're seeing it right now. I mean, there's so much consolidation where I think anyone that's got less than 20 hotels, does it make sense to operate yourself, just given the costs you know, associated with running an operation platform? So we have our own you know, platform. We operate over 80 hotels. And we're committed within that company to being an operator and being best in class as an operator. But it's, I mean, it's super expensive. It's not a, a very profitable business model. It's more of the ability to control your product. But you know, ultimately, if you're less than 20 or 30 hotels, I don't know how you, you know, make it you know, make economic sense. Uh, we could stay here and talk forever. The clock is screaming at us that
0: we've run over time. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. This is the exact conversation I want to have.